Well, look, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, as Jeff said, uh, the tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, all these things, right? It's kind of the kickoff to spring. We're celebrating uh, the renewal of life, rebirth. Um, it's a beautiful day. And, and we talk a lot about just the gospel. Uh, this is kind of the message of Easter. And, and what does it mean that Jesus conquered sin, death, and hell? What does it mean that we now have this new life in him? And these things get tossed around a lot, especially um, on this weekend. And my fear is that sometimes we just say things so much that we, we tend to lose the meaning of what they actually mean, right? And we kind of we do this in culture. Um, I was at Starbucks uh, this week uh, early in the morning. Um, I forgot how much I actually liked that, but... I was, I was there like right after they opened and I was sitting there, I was typing out the notes for the sermon and um, you kind of get to watch like the day unfold. People start coming in, they're getting their coffee and you can tell who the regulars are because they know the baristas by name and their orders are already like made for them because I guess they come in all the time. Um, but you know, good morning, good morning, how's it going, good, how are you, good, and then they order and even that phrase like, how's it going? Right in, in society today, how many times do you say that to someone when you greet them, but you really don't care how it's going, right? Like, or, or you really don't even answer honestly. Like, it could be terrible, and you're like, oh, it's, it's good. You know, it's just something we say, and we kind of lose the meaning in these expressions. And my fear is that we talk about some of this stuff so much, especially on Easter Sunday, that maybe we don't fully grasp the meaning of what we say. I mean, we just sang some songs with lyrics uh, like this, hope has a name and his name is Jesus. My, cro- my Savior's cross has set the center free. Your name is victory. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. I mean, what does that actually mean? What does that mean for our parenting, that the resurrecting king is resurrecting me? Or what does it mean for our marriages that your name is victory? Or what does it mean for our career that the Savior's cross has set the center free? See, I believe that if we're going to really understand and be impacted deeply by the meaning of Easter, it's worth us kind of stepping in and trying to understand, make meaning of these messages that we just toss around all the time on days like today. Um, And to do that, we're going to look at a verse that Paul shares. We're going to kind of keep coming back to this verse at the top of your bulletin there. It's Romans 1.16. And he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, Today, I want us to really walk away with an understanding of how this salvation affects every aspect of our lives, of how the message of Easter, the empty tomb, the risen Savior, how that impacts every part of who we are. And and the way that I want to do this um, is I want to examine the life of a person in the Bible that I feel like you're probably somewhat familiar with. Uh, We're going to look at the life of Peter, uh, one of the 12 disciples, the leader of the 12 disciples. And we're going to kind of look at his life from the the beginning all the way up to the end. And we're going to be covering a lot. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture. I have some passages uh, there for us to read together, but I'm also going to be making reference to other stories as well. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to read every verse that there is uh, that we talk about. I'll summarize a lot of things, but um, if you just want to write down the notes on, on maybe where some of these uh, references are, I'll, I'll kind of make those references for us. So we're going to uh, look at the life of Peter. And, and Peter, to me, is a person that we, we can connect with, at least in some part of his story. Um, he's an easy guy to connect with. And so 
That's my goal today, is that we leave today with a better understanding of the meaning of these expressions that we say often, especially in times like Easter. So if you would, would you just please pray with me, and then we'll jump into the reading of God's Word. Father, thank you for life. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your obedience that you came to this earth, not just to show us how to live, but also to go to the cross, um, to, to pay a, a death or a price for our lives that we couldn't pay, and that you uh, you didn't stay down, you rose, God, three days later. And we celebrate that today. So help us to walk away with just an understanding of what this means for us in our daily lives. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Peter's life in three acts. So the first act is the call to follow Jesus. This story is uh, in Luke 5, 1 through 11. I'm going to read all these verses to us uh, this morning. Um, it's a story that I'm sure you're familiar with, but... Here we go, Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, and the him there is Jesus, uh, so while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is probably a familiar story to you if you're somewhat uh, acquainted with the story of Peter. Um, But I want to give you a little context into what's happening kind of leading up to this point, because I feel like it gives it a deeper appreciation for us when we kind of look at, at all that's surrounding this event, all right? So uh, Peter was from Galilee, and if you think about uh, Israel, uh, Galilee was kind of the northern part, Judea was the southern part, um, Jerusalem is, is where the temple was, that was in Judea, so uh, Galilee was kind of seen as like the country, okay? So people from Galilee, was kind of, they were kind of viewed as like the country cousins uh, of the hardcore Jews who lived in Jerusalem, the urban center, right? There was a large Jewish population in Galilee, and they were often seen as being lazy. This is their reputation. Lazy, superstitious, loosely religious, often displaying a lack of belief in God and disregard for proper worship. Uh, They were kind of despised by traditional Jews because they were really open to listening to and accepting outside influences, uh, outside cultural influences. Um, They were viewed as pretty ordinary, pretty common, lacking any sort of sophistication. Um, I was trying to think of a way to explain this to us in our day, and I guess culturally, they're like the Boudreaux's and Thibodeaux's of, of our area, okay? And so that was Peter. That's where he was from. He was from Galilee. Um, now, Peter was Jewish, and something else that would have happened in Peter's life uh, is he would have, uh, as the custom, he would have been taught some basic things about the Jewish faith. So boys in Jerusalem... Um, They were often educated in the home by their fathers, primarily, uh, up until about the age of six. And this is 
This is really um, from an Old Testament law. We call it the Shema. It's a, it's a command that Lord, the Lord gives the Israel people, and it's found in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. I'm just going to read this to us, but uh, this is God telling the fathers of Jerusalem how to raise their homes. Uh, in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. And so, even on a basic level, Peter's father would have taken this to heart, and probably like his father did to him, would have tried to teach him some very simple tenets of the Jewish faith. Who God is, uh, how do we worship, these types of things. And then, at the age of six, Peter's formal education would have started. And Jewish boys at the age of six would go into the synagogue where they would be trained by rabbis. And for the next six years of their life, they would pretty much be taught the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah, the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they would be taught to memorize uh, big chunks of this, if not all of this, if they could. And this would last, like I said, for about six or seven years. So they're now around the age of 12 or 13. It was a pretty crucial time at that point because... At the age of 12 or 13, the rabbis would start to look at their pupils and they would hand-select who it was that was going to actually study further under their, uh, under their tutelage. And so um, because we know that Peter was a fisherman, because we know that he uh, was running kind of the family business, it means that at 12 or 13, when it was time to be chosen by a rabbi for study, um, Peter was not selected. Uh, if you're not selected, you would have gone off and learned a trade and so that's what Peter did. Uh, that's why he's fishing in this story. And so this is a big deal um, for a rabbi on, on who they chose to actually follow after them. Because a rabbi in those days, their reputation and, and sort of uh, their prestige was really, it hinged on their disciples. If a disciple was really great and, and a good student, then it reflected positively on the rabbi. Um, when I first got into coaching. I coached basketball for about 10 years. Uh, they had a guy, a gentleman, who uh, taught me a lot about basketball. And, you know, he's an older gentleman. Older guys always have sayings, you know. One of his sayings was, uh, Coach, you could, you could have all the great plays in the world, but at the end of the day, uh, great, great players make great coaches. That, that was his thing, right? And so for every Phil Jackson, you have a, a Michael Jordan. For every Bill Belichick, you have a Tom Brady. For every Sean Payton, you have a Drew Brees. Well, the same is kind of that principle applied here is that great disciples would make great rabbis. So the process of selecting who your disciple was going to be, um, it, was, it was really important for the rabbi to get it right. And so for the fact that Peter was in the fishing business, it means that uh, he was overlooked, that he didn't get chosen by the rabbi. And that process of following a rabbi was really intense. The disciple, when they start following a rabbi, uh, they would go everywhere with their rabbi. They would, they would literally, like, follow in his footsteps. So uh, wherever he walked, the disciple would walk. Wherever he sat to eat, the disciple would sit to eat. They mimicked and, and kind of modeled even their mannerisms and teaching styles. So if your rabbi walked with a limp, you would walk with a limp. If rabbi was left-handed and that's how he ate his food, like, that's what you would be doing too. Like, it was a, it was, you were a copycat pretty much. I mean, Jesus even alludes to this. He says in Luke 640 that a disciple, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. And, and he knew culturally in that day, like, exactly like his teacher. That was the goal of a rabbi in training 
uh, a disciple. So I share all that because I want you to think about Peter's psyche in this moment. Okay, so he's on the boat. Jesus asks him to borrow his boat so he could teach. But think about like just the person Peter for a second. Okay, he's from Galilee. People from the outside viewed him as being really common and kind of unsophisticated. So he knew that about himself. He knew what his reputation was amongst others. At a point in his life when all of his friends maybe were being chosen to go study, he was overlooked. He was passed by. He was working a job that was very blue-collar. And I don't know about you, but the fishermen that I know in my life, if they base their uh, financial stability on it, they, they would be broke, right? I mean, it's not a job that guarantees success. But yet, that is what he had to do each and every day to make a living. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, he spends a lot of time on the water in a boat. Think about just the, the physical space of even that. Like, you're, you're kind of trapped in this, in this thing. I was, I was sharing with some students this week that uh, for, for majority of my professional life, I've been in education. And so that means that my career is dictated by a series of bells. So my day starts because a bell rings, right? And then I know to move on to the next thing because a bell rings. And um, it's a weird thought. Like, you kind of hope you graduate from that when you leave, leave high school, but not for me. Um, and so, but it's confining. Like, you, you feel like you don't, in some levels, like, there's not the freedom just to go, like, do whatever, right? And so I can imagine Peter being sort of stuck in this boat. He kind of maybe felt limited or even just kind of stuck there. And so day after day, he pushes off from the dock, and the smells of the fish, the smells of the sea, the aches and pains from the, the physicality of his job, um, it's all these reminders, right, that he is just living a hard life. That in this moment, life is not easy, and I'm sure there's questions, and I'm sure there's doubts, and I'm sure there's even moments of wondering if he's ever going to maybe amount to what everyone else has or, or whatnot, but... Day after day, day after day, he's reminded of who he is until he meets Jesus. And it changes everything. Think about this moment in Peter's life. For the first time ever in Peter's life, a person with the prestige of a rabbi chooses him to be his disciple. I can't overstate that. This is, this is an enormous deal for Peter. Now, Jesus you know, we don't know that he had a ton of, like, formal training, but people recognized that he was wise. People recognized that he taught truth. I mean, he was actually in the story, that's what he was doing, was teaching. And so he had a reputation of being a great teacher. And so for Jesus to look at Peter and say to follow me, this was huge for Peter. This was enormous for Peter. Not only that, but Jesus tells Peter in this moment that, Peter, you're going to follow me and you're going to catch men. You're going to be a fisher of men. Let's not overlook that because Jesus in this moment is telling Peter that your worth and your value, it's already there. I'm not diminishing your past life. I'm going to take the things that you're already good at. I'm going to refine those and redeem those so you can use those for my mission. Peter didn't have to change anything before stepping out of the boat. All he had to do was simply trust. And Peter understands what's happening. See, he falls to his face He recognizes that Jesus is now attaching his name to Peter's, which is huge, which is huge. He falls on his face and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Look, Jesus, you don't want to do this. (laughs) You don't know who I am. 
But Jesus knows exactly who Peter is. And so what does any of this mean for you and me? Have you ever been in a season of life where maybe you've questioned your worth? Have you ever been in a season of life where maybe you're asking yourself, is this really all there is to life? Day after day, same routine, same uncertainty, same doubts. You ever in a season of life where you're looking for more purpose or meaning? Or maybe you just want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself? I think Peter was there too until he met Jesus. And a simple step out of the boat changed his world forever. See, in Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. We begin to believe when we step out in faith and answer the call to follow Jesus. In the same way that Jesus wanted Peter exactly as he was, Jesus wants you and I exactly as we are. He valued our lives by giving us his. Someone once said that you know how much something means to someone by the price they'll pay to to get it. Jesus paid for us with his life. He takes who we are and he begins this process of redeeming and refining what's already there for the advancement of his kingdom. And so with one simple step of faith, your life can change forever. And as we kind of end this act of one of Peter's life, I have a response question there for you. And it's simply this, uh, will you follow Jesus today? Will you step out of that boat if you've not done that yet with your life? Will you follow Jesus today? With this one step, Peter did this, and it moved him into act two of his life, which was walking with Jesus. In act two, we see Peter step out of the boat, and he begins this master class of this uh, disciple-teacher relationship where he is side by side with Jesus and he gets lessons on compassion and grace. He gets lessons on patience and rest, on truth and wisdom. He sees what it means to be humble and have humility, but also have self-control. In these next three years of Peter's life, as he walks side by side with Jesus, as he was walking and started doing his earthly ministry, they were full of highs and they were full of lows. And often those two things were very close together. So just some quick stories. Maybe you're familiar with these. But there's a story where Peter was walking on water. Pretty cool. Uh, Super high moment, right, in his life. Uh, Shortly after, though, he begins to fear and doubt, and he begins to sink. So major high followed by a low. There's this moment where Jesus is asking his disciples, who is it that people say that I am? And Peter rightfully declares, you are the Christ. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build my church on you. You're a rock, Peter. Shortly after that, Jesus is explaining that he has to die in order for all this to happen. And Peter, after having this high moment, then tells Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus follows that up by calling Peter Satan. Awesome, right? (laughs) High and then a low. Peter's part of the select group with James and John who gets invited up to the mountaintop to see the transfiguration of Jesus. It's where Jesus is physical appearance begins to change. He starts glowing white. And in that moment, this supernatural moment, they also see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And the scripture says that Peter was scared. It says he doesn't know what to say. When you don't know what to say, you should say nothing, right? Not Peter, right? So he just speaks out. And he offers to make three tents to worship. One for Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses. So he's got this intimate moment with Jesus, and then he says, let's erect three places of worship. And he elevates Moses and Elijah to the same position as Jesus. So another moment of high and then moment of low. And 
we could kind of keep going through the stories. Peter was super impulsive. I mean, you remember Jesus' arrest. He draws a sword, tries to kill uh, the guy arresting Jesus, the soldier arresting Jesus. He misses, cuts his ear off. But what was Peter going to do? I mean, they were probably 100 deep soldier-wise. Like, he thought he was going to take them all. He was impulsive, right? He thought he reacted without thinking. Uh, he would speak without thinking. Um, Jesus tells him, Peter, you're going to die. I mean, no, 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 I'll never do that, right? I'll never do that. But he does. He's often overly dramatic. Um, Jesus went to wash the feet of the disciples. What does Peter say? Don't just wash my feet, wash all of me, right? He was just, if I'm being honest, I'd have a hard time probably hanging with Peter. It's probably a little too much for me, a little extra at time. Um, But look, Jesus understood the task at hand. He knew all of this. And he still chose Peter to be his disciple, to walk with him. And shortly after in Luke 6, so Luke 5 is the call of Peter. Luke 6, Jesus, it's a small, small little piece of scripture, but it's hugely important. It says, it's a list of all the disciples. And it says that Simon, who Jesus called Peter, and then it goes on to list the disciples. It's Luke 6, 14. It's a big deal. Jesus renames, see, Peter's real name was Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. Um, Jesus renamed Simon to Peter. Peter, or Petros, the, the Greek word for Peter, means rock or stone. And throughout the Gospels, as you read, Jesus will often go back and forth between calling Peter either Simon or Peter. And what this indicates is every time he refers to Peter as Simon, it's kind of this painful little jab that, hey, you're acting like your old self. You're acting like the guy you used to be. Like, stop it, Simon, right? But every time he calls Peter, Peter, rock, stone, it's this reinforcement by Jesus uh, that, Peter, you're now acting like the person I know you are and I need you to be, right? And so Jesus, this walking with Jesus, this process of discipleship, of this refining and redeeming of who Peter is, Jesus is taking it all in stride. He knows what he got himself into. He loves Peter. Peter is worth all the effort. And slowly and surely, Peter's life begins to transform. It's what happens when we walk with Jesus. So Peter begins to learn things, character uh, traits, qualities like submission and restraint. He learns humility and love and compassion and courage, all because he was walking with Jesus. A story that I think highlights kind of... Peter understanding this is at the end of Matthew 17. It's just a few verses, but there's a story where Peter's hanging with Jesus and um, these guys come to collect a temple tax. A temple tax in Jesus' day was a tax that you would pay to go worship and pray at the temple. And it was often uh, two days worth of wages. And so they asked Peter, does your teacher pay tax money for the house of God? And Peter was kind of confused by this because he knew that Jesus was God's son. And in his mind, it didn't make a whole lot of sense that God's son would need to pay a tax to use God's house. So he asked Jesus about this. And Jesus, as he often does, responds to the question with a question. And he says, Peter, do the sons of kings, do do kings tax their sons or do they collect taxes from others? And Peter says, they collect collect taxes uh, from others. And Jesus says, you're right. The sons are free. They don't have to pay the tax. But let's not give people reason to be offended. So what Jesus goes on to do is he tells Peter to go cast a hook. Go out, go 
go cast the hook, you're going to catch a fish. Peter catches a fish, and in that fish's mouth is a coin that is the exact amount to cover the cost of the tax, both for Jesus and for Peter. And in this moment, here's what Jesus is doing. He's showing Peter that he has absolute authority and sovereignty over creation. By controlling this fish, by planting the coin in his mouth to come up and bite Peter's hook. He's proving that to Peter, but he's also at the same time displaying what it looks like for human submission to earthly authorities. So if Jesus could supernaturally get a fish to take Peter's hook, he could certainly opt out of the temple tax. But it was moments like this where Peter learned the qualities he would need to be the leader he was called to be. See, fast forward to the letters of Peter as Peter's writing to his brothers and sisters who were being oppressed. Listen to these words. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 18. Think about this lesson that Peter just learned about heavenly authority submitting to earthly authority. This is what Peter says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He goes on to say, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Peter was learning lessons by walking with Jesus. Lessons that he couldn't learn anywhere else. Right? And we get to see this kind of play out before us in the life of Peter. But it was this constant struggle of back and forth for him. Even after the resurrection, Peter still kind of looked backwards to his old ways of life. In John 20 and 21... We kind of get the accounts of what went down after Jesus rose from the tomb. And again, it's a lot of scripture, so I'm not going to read it all, but um, I will summarize it. So in John 20, it starts off by the tomb being empty. Uh, John and Peter are on their way to go see it. They run into Mary Magdalene, who says it's empty. And so then they take off on a foot race to the tomb. And I love John because not once but twice he points out that he beat Peter to the tomb. So I don't know if he was calling Peter fat and slow or if he just liked point out the fact that he was faster. I'm telling you, Peter probably annoyed people. So he, he uh, definitely pointed that out, right? So they get to the tomb and it's empty, but there's this fear amongst the disciples because the person that they were following closely for three years just was put to death. So they were kind of hiding out in a house, wondering if maybe the same fate would uh, lie ahead for them. And not once but twice, Jesus appears to the disciples. A few days apart, but he appears to the disciples. He shows them who he is. And he gives them this command. He says, as the Father is sending me, I am sending you. So he gives them a commission on what they are to go do. A few days after that, Jesus appears a third time to his disciples, this time by the Sea of Tiberias. And at that point, Peter, he kind of just snaps. Okay? I think it was a lot for our friend Peter. Peter just says, after seeing Jesus a third time post-resurrection, he just says, I'm going fishing. Who's with me? And he brings a few guys with him, right? And I don't think this was a fishing trip to relieve stress. You know, we do fishing for several reasons. Some of it's just like being out in the boat, quiet, quiet times, whatever. But, like, I don't think this was it for Peter. See, I feel like Peter was going fishing because it brought him back to who he was before. It reminded him of who he was before he met Jesus. And here's something that's true about everyone in this room and in this life is that in our lives we're all searching for three things. We're searching for belonging, we're searching for significance, and we're searching for security. 
And in this moment when Peter's world is rocked, I mean, think about his last few weeks. There's Palm Sunday. There's the Last Supper. He's praying in the garden with Jesus. There's the trial of Jesus. There's the the torture and persecution of Jesus, the crucifixion, the cross. There's the denial of Jesus. There's the empty tomb. He sees the resurrected Christ. That's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process, right? And I'm sure Peter in this moment was maybe a little confused, a little dazed, a little shocked, searching for answers. But instead of moving forward to what Jesus said to do, as the Father is sending me, I am sending you, what Peter did, he looked backwards. He looked to a past where he found comfort in a profession. He found belonging and significance and security in the things of old. He was looking for those things in this moment. I say that I feel like we all search for this because when you watch people, you just see it play out. The other day, and this was not intended, but uh, a young man, a student at our school, he came to class, and it was the anniversary of his father's death. And honestly, he probably should have just taken the day off. And it was 8 o'clock. The day was just starting, and he was in the office, the main office. I have an office off the side of the main office, and he was, he was a mess. He was crying. He was full of grief. And we just, it was like, hey, put him in your office because it's, it's I mean, it's alarming. Like, how, how much she was just struggling in a moment. Like, it, people were, it was a distraction, not in a bad way. It was just, hey, we don't want, you know, to bring attention. So, anyway, we just pulled him into my office. And uh, I was not the counselor. And so he was sitting there, and the counselor came in. Um, and it was kind of, felt awkwardly trapped. Like, I didn't want to leave because I didn't want to be like, Showing I was lacking sensitivity, but it was also like they were having a counseling session, and I was like, probably shouldn't be here. Um, but I heard everything that was going on, and he went on to share how his dad, <clears throat> when he was born, his dad was in prison. He didn't know his biological father until he was five years old. And he said he spent the next 11 years just trying to be part of his dad's life. His dad <clears throat> never really, um, I guess, wanted anything to do with him, and there was the grief of his, the loss of his father, but there was also this grief that I just, I've spent the last 11 years trying to be accepted by my dad. And now that he's gone, I'll never have that opportunity. And it's this fight for acceptance, belonging. It's this fight for significance. And the counselor, just a great job. He just said, listen, you can't measure your worth on what your dad did or didn't do. I mean, you measure your worth on what Christ did for you. He died for you, you know. And the counselor was just great in that moment. This isn't something that just affects kids. There's a movie that came out, it's a documentary about 10 years ago. I think it's called Desert Runners, but it's a story. Uh, there, there's these ultramarathon races that there's a race circuit that happens across five of the world's deserts uh, all over the world. Asia, Africa. Didn't know this, but Antarctica is actually considered a desert. You don't think of it that way, but it's dry. It's just cold. Um, the final race is on Antarctica. But the whole deal with these races is uh, they're over 100 miles each. And the runners had to carry everything on their back. They weren't provided any assistance. And they would knock out like 20 miles a day. It would last about five days. In this documentary, most people do one a year. In this documentary, it was following four people who uh, they were seeking to become the first person in their category to do all five in one calendar year. And so uh, there was the first woman who was going to do it. I forgot what the other two guys were. But this one guy, he was the oldest guy. He would have been the oldest guy to do all races in one calendar year. He was probably in his late 50s, and he was in his car, and he was crying. It, this is like 
it was it was like torture. Like this was like the the physical just what they went through, put their bodies through to train and to be able to do these races. I mean, one of the races, someone passed out and died. They couldn't get to him fast enough to rehydrate him. But anyway, this guy's in his car, and he's just weeping. And the person doing the camera work is asking him, like, why are you doing, why are you putting yourself through all this? And this guy in his late 50s, he says, because I knew that my dad, if, he, if, he, <laughs> if my dad knew that I completed this, he would be proud of me. And his dad's deceased. Wasn't even alive. No way of knowing if his son did these things. Searching for acceptance and belonging, significance for security. These are these grip us in powerful ways. They affect every part of who we are. And when your world is rocked, what do you do? When the phone call comes that the cancer is back, or you hear about the loss of a loved one, or your finances are a mess, or a family member is estranged. Are you leaning into your faith and trusting Jesus with your future? Are you looking backwards trying to find belonging, significance, and security in the things of this world? Peter, in this moment, his world was rocked. He started to look backwards. He went fishing because that's where he found belonging, significance, and security. He was looking anywhere but Jesus, but Jesus always has the perfect response. They come back from this fishing trip empty-handed, and Jesus blesses the trip. He says, Cast your nets one more time. They do. They catch a lot of fish, kind of reminiscent of uh, the story we read about the call of Peter to follow Jesus. But they're there having some fish on the, on the beach, having some breakfast. And Jesus kind of pulls up Peter. John 21, 15 through 17. It's in your bulletin. I'm going to read this to you. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Look, instead of reprimanding Peter for looking backwards, Jesus gently reminds Peter of the assignment that lies ahead. He gives him this charge and his commission to go feed his sheep. And here's what I love. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Who's the shepherd now in the story? It's Peter. He, he takes the title that was reserved for him and he passes it on to Peter, kind of this full circle moment of the disciple when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. He's reminding Peter of the walk that they've spent together these last three years. Look, when you and I walk with Jesus, our lives begin to change. The beauty of the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believes. And what this means for us is that this process of salvation, it gives us hope for our future. It gives us victory over the former ways of life. And it gives us freedom to live the plans that God has for us. The question here that is asking us to just reflect on as we kind of wrap up this second act of Peter's life is will you look forward to the plans God has, not backwards to the way things were? Moving into Act 3 of Peter's life, we go to the book of Acts. And just a quick summary of the first few chapters of Acts. Um, In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. He reminds his disciples of what they are to do to go and be my witnesses, to spread 
my word throughout the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, fulfilling the promise that Jesus made that a helper would come. This Holy Spirit fills all believers. And as the people are gathered and trying to make sense of the moment, Peter stands up and begins to preach. He preaches a sermon. And the result of that sermon is that thousands of people are saved. They trust Jesus with their lives in that moment. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to pray at, the, at a temple synagogue. They come across a crippled beggar. This beggar is asking for healing. So in the name of Jesus, Peter and John heal him. Sorry, beggar's asking for money, but in the name of Jesus, Peter and John heal him. Of course, this causes a great commotion. A man who wasn't able to walk is now walking, hopping around, so a crowd's starting to gather. And Peter addresses the crowd. Check out the courage and the boldness. The guy who denied Jesus, listen to what Peter says. You killed Jesus. It's a summary. That's what he told the crowd. He's alive now. Repent and believe. This, of course, annoyed the religious leaders uh, in the area. And Peter and John get arrested. Um, The trial's set for the next day. But in in the moments that in between that and the trial, Peter's able to talk and give testimony and share. Thousands more are saved. Chris, if you would, just you come on up um, right now. And then at his trial, Peter gives this testimony. It's in Acts chapter 4. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, listen to the boldness in these words, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to the people's response, Acts 4, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Act 3 of Peter's life is Jesus in him. Act 3 of our lives, maybe, is Jesus in us. See, after answering the call to follow Jesus and faith stepping out of the boat, After walking with Jesus for three years, allowing his life to be transformed, to be renewed, to be redeemed, to be refined, Peter's life was now one where people recognized Jesus in him. It's a miraculous change, a change that only the gospel can do, a change that only the the gospel can provide. It's the power of salvation that Paul talks about fully manifesting itself, itself in the lives of of people like Peter and John, but also in the lives like you and me. When people are able to see Jesus in us. And so when we talk this Easter Sunday, we celebrate this newness of life. We talk about the hope that we have, the victory that we have, the freedom that we have. It means that Jesus is now in us and people get to experience him through us. It means that in our parenting, our children will see Jesus in us. It means that our interactions with our bosses and our employers People get to see Jesus in us. It means that the way we handle our finances and spend our time, people get to see Jesus in that as well. It's how 
we treat waiters at restaurants, even how we sit in traffic, right? People will see Jesus in us. So my question as we kind of wrap up this third act here is, will you surrender every aspect of your life to the rule and reign of Jesus? And when you do, in its simplest form, this is what it means to have hope and victory and freedom, is that people will recognize Jesus as part of your life. That if you've taken the step to trust, you've taken the step to follow, that you've spent time walking with Christ, you were being refined and renewed so that people understand more of this grace and this love that you do. As Chris begins to play, I want to I want to encourage this type of response. We're going to have a moment where we sing, but before we do that, Chris is just going to sing the chorus of a song, some words over you. Um, and as we do that, I want you to, to, maybe you're one of three people in here, okay? Um, for some of you, maybe your first step or your next step is taking that step out of the boat like Peter did when Jesus called him. Maybe, maybe you need a find in your heart a moment, a place of trust where you're saying, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm worthy, but everything we just read and examined, it says that you felt like I was because you came and died for me. And so I want to follow you into a relationship. I want to believe this power of salvation. I want to see it begin to happen in my life. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just need to trust Jesus. In this moment, I'm going to, uh, if you would right now, you could just bow your head and close your eyes. I, I just want to encourage you to have some brief time with the Lord praying to him, acknowledging where you're at, acknowledging what you need, acknowledging how you want to follow. So for some, maybe it's just a simple step out of the boat. For others, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but maybe you still find yourself looking backwards to your old way of life, trying to find belonging, significance, and security in the things of the past. What Jesus is asking you to do is to trust the power of his salvation, to lean into your faith, to repent from looking backwards and celebrate what lies ahead, the mission that he set you out on, the purpose that your life has. And for others, you've been walking with Jesus for a while. And when people think of you, they see Jesus in you. Praise God. Keep pressing on. Keep fighting the fight. Keep running the race. Keep preserving the truth. The world needs examples of faith like this that's you just thank Jesus for his gifts thank Jesus for his love thank Jesus for changing every part of who you are so as Chris sings these words wherever you're at just have a moment with the Lord and then he'll lead us into a quick Chris will lead us into a time of worship chose the road that led to suffering Nothing was spared to prove your love for me You're the mystery And your final breath became eternity But we had lost forever you
them who were slain who rose in majesty There's never a heart beyond your victory You are the one that we are welcoming You are the one that and sisters, we celebrated last Sunday, Palm Sunday, where we talked about where Jesus had a triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and um, that was foretold in Zechariah 9, and then again in John 12. But listen to this, brothers and sisters. In Revelation 7, um, there's another triumphant entry in Revelation 7. And that says, And I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sear against the tree. And then it goes on to say, all the way in verse 9, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, waving palm branches, and in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb and to all the angels that were standing around the throne and around the elders. And the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever, forever, and amen. And so we see before Jesus came, it was foretold that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and there would be this praise of his name and this our crying out of mercy. And then it actually happens in Jerusalem. And then, brothers and sisters, we will see Jesus return. We will be waving palm branches. We will be seeing every nation and every tribe and every tongue, every race, every language will be saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I want to finish this song. With us singing this bridge, it simply goes, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We all know that from, from John, right? But the second verse is, is, join now and sing, Jesus is king, he reigns forevermore. So I'm going to sing our chorus again, Hosanna, and then we'll go into blessed is he. Hosanna, Hosanna, in the Blessed is he, blessed is he who 
desire to walk with us, and that you're pleased to dwell in us. Thank you for the life change that we have because of your victory over sin, death, and hell. We celebrate that this morning. We rejoice in that this morning. We praise you for that this morning. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, as we go, it's customary to recite some scripture together as our uh, sending out. Today, we're going to recite Romans 116. It's in your bulletin, might also be on the screen, Uh, not sure, but simply this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Happy Resurrection Sunday.